The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34 this morning. Uh, when I was a kid, they came out with this silly rubber robotic wall-mounted fish. Uh, maybe some of you had this thing way back in the day. It was called Big Mouth Billy Bass. And it was, went a little viral, very popular, because back in the nod, I'm old enough to remember when little robotic stuff like that and, and music even recorded in such a way, and, and motion detection wasn't so common. It had motion detection, and when you walked by it, this little robotic rubber fish's tail began to flop and beat to the music that it played, and then the fish's head would turn out and its mouth would move, and, and it would sing a song. Now, it had a couple of songs that it would sing, but one of which was, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Some of you remember that song from the 80s, Bobby McFerrin, Don't Worry, Be Happy. If you know that line to it and the catchy melody, you know the gist of the song. There's not much else to the song other than that line, Don't Worry, Be Happy. He, in the verses, shares just a couple lines about rent being due and not having any money, not having any style, not having any gal. And, and that's really the extent of life he mentions being full of trouble. And then he just encourages you, don't worry, be happy. Doesn't really give you a reason to not worry. Doesn't really give you a reason to, not, to, to be happy. He actually gives you a lot of reasons to not be happy. And, and that's the gist of the song. The only reason that he gives to not be happy is because your frown might bring somebody down. And I think what our world has found is that song, that, that saying in and of itself, isn't enough. It really isn't enough to help us overcome the fears of this life, the doubts, the worries, the anxieties that plague the heart of every person. The statistics are true. Stats would say that one in every five, and that would include everybody in this room right now, one in five have clinically even been diagnosed with some sort of anxiety disorder. Uh, That would include panic attacks. Uh, That would include all sorts of phobias. That would include incapacitating sort of stress even, just generalized stress, uh, OCD, PTSD. Uh, I would even categorize a lot of depressions in that same category of, of really being caused by Anxiety caused by a fear of the unknown, a fear of, of the things that you cannot control. Now, now, it's good to recognize the symptoms of anxiety. It's, it's good to understand even, even your susceptibility to it. That you know, Some people are more susceptible to, to fear and to worry and to anxiety. Um, some people, just because the way that you're wired, you worry more than other people who are wired differently. Um, some have been through pretty traumatic life experiences that, that have caused them to be at a place where anxiety is more of a battle. It's more of a struggle than others through suffering. Facing in the future something with high stress and, and just some in career even in the busyness of life in today's day and age. What I want to encourage you this morning is not to let a psychological diagnosis rob you of the life of joy that God has called you to in Christ. Don't let a psychological that has maybe, maybe not been placed over you rob you of the joy in Christ that God 
commands for you, that God has called you to, that God has freely given to you. And what I mean by that is I've met a couple people in my lifetime who, who they, get a, they get a diagnosis and maybe just, we'll just say anxiety, they're diagnosed with, let's say, general anxiety. And they sort of use this as a label to define their lives by. And they, they have even been told before, well, you know, I can't help but worry because I've been diagnosed with anxiety, with generalized anxiety. Or I have panic attacks. And, and, and in a way, we use the title to justify the, the fault before the Lord. It is a fault before the Lord when we let our hearts get into such a condition, such a place. I think to make the point very strong, we could use the illustration of a sex addict who would say, well, you know, I've been diagnosed as a sex addict, and so I can't help but... And we'd say, no, no, you can't help that. Now, you may have a greater battle. You may have a greater struggle. It may be a greater war that you have to fight to get your heart to move from a place of of panic attack, a place from anxiety and stress to a place of faith and trust and resting in the Lord. Uh, Most definitely, there are some who are are going to face a much greater battle to get there. But but don't, don't let the greatness of the battle rob you of the victory that God has for you. And you say, how do I know that, that God, God wants you to overcome that and that God says you can because Jesus says so, as we're about to see. That Jesus says that you can live a life without anxiety. You're called to. If you've got the Spirit of God within you, you've got the Spirit of Christ within you. God calls you to a, a life that's not filled with worry and fear and anxiety, God calls us to a life of resting, a life of trusting in Christ. Even if you don't have that title as diagnosis of any sort, reality is all of us, all of us struggle with anxiety, with fear, with worry. Anxiety and worry are based out of a fear, a fear of the unknown, a fear of what might come, a fear of making the wrong decision, a fear of doing the wrong thing, a a, a fear of just the things that are beyond our ability to control. And the Bible has a whole lot to say about fear, if you've ever read your Bible. It's been said that over 500 times the Bible addresses the subject of fear. Some of those are commands like, do not fear. Others are stories, narratives that unfold that subject of the right fear of the Lord and the wrong fear of man, fear of the unknown. Uh, I want us to look this morning to one of the most beautiful and powerful of those uh, 500 passages found in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus delivered, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34 this morning. Let's hear the words of Christ recorded by Matthew under the inspiration of the Spirit of Christ. For you and me to learn, to read, to be admonished by, be encouraged by even this morning. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles, those who are lost, Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. If you were here last week, you saw Jesus' words just before this was a strong warning that you can't serve two masters. And he's speaking of God and he's speaking of mammon, the God of money. You can't serve the one true living God and also have your heart devoted to the materialistic things of this life in a way where you're deifying them, in a way where you're serving them, in a way that you're living and stressing and worrying about all the the materialistic, physical things of this life. God says you can't have it both ways. You must serve me and you must serve me alone. And in concluding that word... Jesus says now, as we're looking to this morning in verse 30 or 25, Therefore, because you can't serve two masters, because God commands your wholehearted devotion, therefore I say to you, do not worry. Don't let your heart get all anxious and filled with fear about your life, what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink, or about your body, what you will put on is not the life more than food, and the body more than clothing. Jesus commands of us to not let anxiety and worry and fear command our life and command our heart. He tells us we're to put worry off. He tells us that our lives mean more than the materialistic possessions that we gather. And if our lives mean more than that, will not God provide those things for us if we just simply rest in Him? If we just simply trust in Him. Now Jesus does not just say, don't worry, be happy. In a way, He says, don't worry, be happy. But you know what He also does here? He gives us a pathway to follow. To help our hearts go from a place of worry and fear to a place of resting and trusting. And I've put this in just a short outline form that we want to, I want to walk through quickly because we've got a family business meeting with this morning, but but five just steps that I would encourage you write down. And when anxiety and fear start to start to weigh upon your heart, turn to this passage and have this little outline here before you. And just follow the words of Christ and this outline even that just follows the words of Christ and let it guide you uh, that my prayer would be from a place of doubt and fear, a place of worry and anxiety. Uh, to a place of, of calmness, of peace, of resting, of trusting. Notice firstly how to stop worrying. Jesus tells us, verse 26, Consider the birds. Look to the birds of the air, he says in verse 26. You might have some bird watchers in here. I know a couple of you are. Jesus says, Look to the birds of the air and think about them. Dwell on them for a moment. Watch what they do and how God cares for them. He says, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. You don't see the birds out there organizing a little farm and 
planting seeds in the ground and, and bringing water to water the seeds and waiting for the seeds to germinate. And, and, and they've got their little farms that are blocked off. There's no, there's no farms run by the birds out there, last I checked. They don't sow nor toil, they or, uh, uh, sow nor reap. They, they don't gather into barns. They don't even store up for the days that lie ahead. Uh, the birds are dependent upon the present moment. They're dependent upon the worm being in the ground when they go to poke their beak into it. They're determined to, for, uh, determ- uh, they, they are dependent upon, there's a word I'm looking for, they're dependent upon the, the minnows in the lake to be at the right spot where they can dive down and get the minnow or, or get the fish, get the, the little bass. They, they don't gather all of this stockpile up in a barn and live by their own securities as we so often do. And, and Jesus says, you know what? God, God takes care of them. And I love the title that he uses here. He doesn't just say God. He says, your heavenly father. Okay, just as a daddy cares for his kid, you've got a father in heaven who loves you and cares for you so much, and he's so powerful and so mighty that in his sovereign providential care, he not only can provide for you, but you realize he takes care of all of nature? The birds of the air aren't starving to death and falling out of the sky left and right because God has worked in such a providential, sovereign way that when they're hungry, they have food to eat. And he asks this pointed question, are you not of more value than they? Did Jesus die upon a cross for the birds? No. Jesus died upon a cross for your salvation, for your redemption. Are you not of much more value birds that God sovereignly cares for. You read the Psalms, you just read a few verses from Psalm 8 and Psalm 139. In Psalm 8, verse 4 through 8, it it reads, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you've crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. Above any other created work of God, he made humanity the pinnacle. The pinnacle of his love, the pinnacle of his um, desire for fellowship and relationship. It was Adam and Eve that he communed with in the garden. It was not any of the animals that God communed with in the garden. It is Adam and Eve, the offseed of Adam and Eve, that God has established covenant relationship with throughout history, that God has revealed himself to, that God has sent his word to, that God has even revealed himself to time and time again. I just mentioned it's for humanity that Jesus dies upon a cross, that we may be saved, that we may be redeemed. You realize you were of much more value than all the animals that God takes care of. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 18. David, reflecting on God's providential care for his life, he says, For you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. 
And when I awake, I am still with you. God's presence never leaves us. It's good to, when worry starts to weigh upon your heart, go watch the birds. I'm being serious. Step outside and look at the birds. And just, just focus for a moment on the fact that they, they, don't, they don't reap or sow. They don't gather into a barn. And yet God cares for them. Are you not of much more value than they are? Watch the birds. Be reminded. God cares for them. God will care for you. Consider the birds first. Next, verse 27. Consider your height. <laughs> Consider your height. Verse 27, Jesus says, Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Now, some of you have a more modern translation, and they have found that what might be implied, but probably is implied here in the words of Jesus, is the lifespan and not necessarily the height. So you can't add a moment to your lifespan. Uh, it could be interpreted, translated either which way. Jesus could have meant either which one. Either it's height in a cubit being used there, or it's lifespan and a moment being added to it. Either which way, Jesus' point is the same. Uh, the New King James has cubit and stature, so that's what I'm going to go with this morning. Your height. Do you realize everything you are has been providentially designed by God in His care and love over you? You are as tall as you are because God designed you that way. Uh, whereas Wes is in the second service usually, but Wes Bland, I always go up to Wes and, how'd you get so tall? And some of you who are taller, you've probably been asked that time and time and time again. And it's a really ignorant question because the reality is your genetics played a good role in that and the primary role in that. Now, if you, you were malnourished, of course, that could stunt your growth. But bottom line is God determines your, your height. And what Jesus' point here is, no matter how much you worry about it, you're never going to make yourself taller than you are. Who can add a cubit? That's about 18 inches, the distance from your elbow to your fingertips. Who can add a cubit to their height by worrying? Jesus is emphasizing the futility of, of worrying. It doesn't do any good whatsoever. You don't really change anything by your worrying you're not going to get taller just because as a kid and playing basketball, you go to bed every night and just worrying, I'm just not tall enough. I need to get taller. If I could only be taller, then I could dunk. If I were only taller, then I, could, I wouldn't get dunked on all the time. Worrying does not accomplish anything. Worrying, it's been said, never robs tomorrow of its sorrow. It only saps today of its joy. Worrying never solves anything. Worry never prevents anything. Worry never heals anything. Worry serves only one purpose. It makes matters worse. And so if you're, if you're getting to a, a moment of anxiety, go look at the birds. Think about God's sovereign care over them and how much more you mean to Him than the birds. And I want you to go in and grab a tape measure. I want you to pull your tape measure out and measure your height. And then think about just how useless worrying is. That worrying will not add a, a, a cubit to your stature. And then thirdly, verses 28 through 30, next consider a flower. Consider a flower, the lilies of the field. Verse 28. So why do you worry about clothing? Jesus says, Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. 
So, so you go out in the lilies of the field would most likely be the wildflowers there around uh, the lake there, Galilee and Lake, and, um, and where the crowd had gathered. Undoubtedly, Jesus is looking to, to birds and pointing them out, and then the, the wildflowers in the field. You know, I was driving to the, uh, my parents the other day, and, and on the side of the road there were wildflowers, and just thinking about Jesus' illustration here. Uh, they, they, they neither toil nor spin. Have you ever watched a flower grow? <laughs> I can remember as a kid, you know, we'd plant the seed in class and you'd water it and, and you just kind of sit there and you're waiting and you're waiting and like nothing ever seems to happen. But day by day goes by and you don't notice it, but it grows. And before long, it, it, it buds into this beautiful, <laughs> this beautiful flower. That really, if you just take a moment to stop and smell the roses, if you take a moment to just stop and examine the beauty of even a simple flower, and, and what that can do for your heart and for your soul as you see the beauty of God and the magnificence of God, the wisdom of God in it, and then you think about how it came to be, that it neither worked nor toiled. You didn't even notice it grow. Have you ever seen it in a time lapse? Now pull it up on YouTube and watch a time lapse of a flower growing. It's, it's pretty magnificent. It's pretty crazy the way it moves so much that you really don't even see and don't even notice day by day by day as it grows and grows and grows and uh, buds into a beautiful flower. Jesus says of the flower even that Solomon in all of his glory wasn't arrayed like one of these. That, that there's things that man can do and accumulate and Solomon had a lot of wealth and a lot of power but Jesus looking at a flower says there's a greater glory in that flower than even the wealth and power that any man can accumulate. Even Solomon in all of his glory wasn't arrayed like one of these. You can't do this. You can't make the beauty of a flower. God does. God can. To see His marvelous hand at work and then to realize, verse 30, Now if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, and it often will stomp on a flower without giving it a second thought, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now what we're dealing with here is a faith issue. It's a crisis of your faith when you let anxiety and you let worry plague your heart. It's not just something to excuse. It's not just something to live under a label by. No, you're, you're to work. You're to work at turning your heart and leading your heart and guiding your heart to rest and to trust in the Lord. You are worth more than the birds of the air. God clothes the lilies of the valley. Is He not going to clothe you? Is He not going to take care of you? Consider the birds. Consider your height. When worry and anxiety come, go pick a flower. Like seriously, go outside and pick a flower and just look at it. There's something unique and just uplifting about being in nature. To, to see God's sovereign control of all things that man didn't produce. We're, we're, we're so all the time surrounded by things man built. Even right now, we're in a building built by the hands of men. Now, we utilize material that God put in, into existence, but we, we take it, we manipulate it, and we see the handiwork of man everywhere we go. We live in houses now where we see the handiwork of man. We drive in cars where we see the handiwork of man. It's good to just get away from that and to just spend a few moments in nature and reflect upon the handiwork of God, the beauty, the magnificence of it all. And to realize if God clothed it as He did, you mean more to Him than that. He's going to clothe you. He's going to take care of you. 
fourthly, verses 31 through 33, consider the kingdom. The kingdom. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For all of these things the Gentiles, lost people, seek after. That when you let your heart get consumed with worry and anxiety and fear about the materialistic things of this life and where your food's going to come from, where the bill's going to get paid from, where, you know, fill in the blank for whatever it is that's weighing deeply upon your heart, when you let worry and anxiety take over you, you are acting like a lost person. You have forgotten the God who saved you through Christ, the God who redeemed you through Jesus, the God who will never leave you nor forsake you, the God who is with you always and who promises, I will provide for your every need. So Jesus says, for after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. God, your heavenly Father, sees your needs. But He promises, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, And all these things will be added to you. But if you just rightly trust the Lord and focus upon the Lord and seek the kingdom of God and seek His righteousness, God's going to take care of the rest. God will take care of your needs. God will provide for you when times of need come up. I know what some of you are thinking right now. I am so busy. I've got two kids playing baseball right now. It's practice, 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 and about to be games and games and games, and then school and school activities, and and our families are crazy busy in this day and age in which we live. And some of you are thinking between work and family life and, and even what you're doing already in church that I just don't have time to seek the kingdom. And you're looking at it wrongly. You're looking at the seeking the kingdom as if that's something extra that you have to add to your life. You realize that seeking the kingdom isn't, an extra step you take in living. To seek the kingdom and the righteousness of God is really a heart attitude that should take over in all that you're doing in life. So that in your job, you seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. It's not something you add to it. It's something that changes the way you do what you're doing. That that you do all that you do as unto the Lord and not unto man. That whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, you do all to the glory of God. That you're seeking the things of God in the place He's called you to, to work, to provide not only financially for your family, but also financially for missions and for church planning, for church ministry, to provide even a place where you don't know how God's put you there for such a reason as reaching the lost people that are around you and using the place that you work at as a place where you shine as salt and you shine as a light to a lost and dying world to, to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness in the things He's called you to do. That could be going to a baseball game or a baseball practice or I'm trying to help coach T-ball a little bit. And in that, I want to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. I'm around a whole lot of lost people when I'm out there. And they're lost, trust me. They need Christ. And I want to seek the kingdom of God in that. I want to seek the righteousness of God in that. To seek the kingdom of God, even in your pleasure and leisure, stuff you do for fun. To honor God in it and give thanks to God through it and be a testimony to others who are with you, whether it's out at a hunting club or on a lake fishing. Seeking the kingdom of God is not an extra step that you must take. It should enlighten and inform the way you do all that you do. So God says, live in such a way, Jesus is saying. Consider the kingdom and the way that you're living. And and here's the thing. Seeking the kingdom and worrying about materialistic things are there. You can't love God and mammon. You're not going to be able to do both. When you are worried about the things of this life, you are not seeking the kingdom or the righteousness of God as you're called to do. So it's good to direct your heart. It's 
good to realign your thinking. When you're feeling anxious, I would say about considering the kingdom, go to church. That was the best thing I could think of. Where is the kingdom of God most present? Think of no better place than the assembly of believers. When we're together and we're singing and we're reading the scriptures and we're, we're, we're fellowshipping and uplifting one another, go to church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord, to be reminded of it, live for it. Because all week long, there is a kingdom of this world that, that calls for our attention. And so many people give way and live for the world and, and, and then neglect worship and they never realign their heart. They never realign their soul. They live aisles just as lost people. Consider the kingdom, fourthly. Lastly, fifthly. Ooh, look at that. I'm doing all right on time. Consider today. Verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus embraced the slogan, Carpe, this is the day. Don't, don't worry about what's going to happen tomorrow or, or next week or next month or five years from now. So often, so many people are so worried about what the future may hold, are worried about things that they can't control that might happen tomorrow, that, that they neglect to live in the present. That they neglect to live that God has placed them in. Worrying about the future does nothing. And if you're one of those people that has to worry and you just can't help but worry, Jesus says, worry about today. And let that drive you to do something today. Because in the present, you can act. In the present, you can do things. In the worrying about what five years from now might hold or what might happen if, you can't do anything. Worry just incapacitates you when worry is directed about future things or or we could even say about past things and you're dwelling on things that have happened and, and letting that plague your heart. No, God says live in the present. Live for the day that is at hand. Sufficient for the day is the trouble of the day. I, in my own life, I've struggled with this, and I've heard many other people voice struggling with this. Worrying about the will of God and thinking, what does God want me to do? Anybody ever sort of been incapacitated to do anything because your heart's worried about, does God want me to do this or not want me to do it? Is this going to put me, where does God want me five years from now? Um, we want to serve the Lord. We want to obey the will of God, even the particular will of God for our life. But so often, anxiety and fretting and worrying over the will of God can lead a person to, to not do anything. And somebody a long while told this, a long while ago told this to me, and it's so true, and it's really based upon what Jesus is saying here, to not God's will five years from now, but to worry about the will of God for the day that is at hand. Sufficient for the day is the trouble at hand. Tomorrow will worry about its own thing. So don't worry about what's going to be five years from now or where God wants you five years from now. The advice given to me was, hey, worry about today. What is it that God has given you to do today? Worry about that and obey Him in that. Wake up in the morning and devote your heart to the Lord and say, God, you've placed an agenda before me today. I'm going to move God and your righteousness in it. I'm going to follow you today. And then you wake up tomorrow and you do the same thing tomorrow. Do it again the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. And guess what? 1,825 days later, that's five years from now, you're going to be right where God wants you. 
You're going to be doing exactly what God has called you to do because you've sought Him on a daily basis in your life and not letting your worry and anxiety about five years or ten years from now lead you to a place of doing nothing. If you're feeling anxious, I would encourage you, go and do something. Go and do something. It's true that idle hands are the devil's playground, the devil's workshop. If you're, you're, you're so worried about what's happening tomorrow or what's happening down the road or what could be happening or what everybody else is thinking or you, you're, you're incapacitated to do anything and there's, there's a need to just refocus on today. You say, let me worry about what needs to be done today and let that actually be a good worry that motivates me to act, to do what God has called me to do today. What are you worried about right now? What is it that's causing anxiety? Jesus says, don't worry. I would encourage you, consider the birds. Consider your height. Consider a flower. Consider the kingdom. Consider today. All week long, I have had that song in my head. Don't worry, be happy. It's a catchy melody. And as I was studying the passage, God just, you know, made it so clear to me. Don't worry, be happy is insufficient. It should be don't worry, trust Jesus. There's a good line. And it got me thinking it's Pastor Scott's 33rd anniversary. Wouldn't it be great if we wrote a little parody and he could sing, don't worry, trust Jesus. And you can only imagine the delightment in my heart when I googled Don't Worry, Trust Jesus and found somebody else already did it. They wrote a parody. Don't worry, trust Jesus. Now, 99 out of 100 times, I close the morning out with a time of invitation, a serious time of contemplation and reflection and inspection of your own, examination of your own, of your own life and heart in response to God's Word, but... I ask your forgiveness ahead of time for what I'm about to make you endure. I want to end this morning a little differently. Because I want this song stuck and ingrained in your head and hopefully your heart and your soul. Don't worry. Trust Jesus.